Take your Bibles again, please, and turn to our text that was read. Genesis chapter 18. Some time ago, a survey was taken. And the question that was asked on the survey was, why are people going to church less and less? From the year 1870 to the present time, in spite of the mega churches that are around the world, church attendance is going down and down and down. And the survey was taken to find out why this is so. And it is interesting that on that survey, you would think that people were influenced by Darwin evolutionary theory, by prosperity, and all the other stuff. On that survey, church attendance started to decline when church people stop believing that God punishes. It could not be conceived that this God of love we know speaks to us in terms of being a judge. And because we have our concept of God, the kind of God we want, we don't see how God could heard people say that. I don't see how God could. Well, there's a good reason you don't see how God could, because you're not God. <laughs> you, could, you could find churches this morning across this country and from the country north of us, and you will find people talking about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercies of God, the goodness of God, but you will not find people talking about a God who judges. A God who has something to say about the way we behave. In fact, not only the way we behave, the very way we think. As A.W. Tosa puts it, if we have the wrong view of God, we will live contrary to what God wants us to live. Because our behavior usually comes from our beliefs. And what we tend to do is to make our behavior the way we believe, rather than behaving because of what we believe. God, in what the Old Testament our theologians call a theophany, that is where God comes in human form, to speak to those who are his was the case in Genesis chapter 18. He had already told, if you please, Abraham what he was going to do. We'll see that in a few minutes. And when Abraham heard what God was about to do, he turned to God. He's alone in the presence of this divine visitor. And he said, allow me to ask something. If there are 50 people 
in Sodom. Will you destroy those 50 righteous people with the wicked people? Now there's something immensely sentimental about that. I'll tell you why it's sentimental. We had earthquakes in different parts of the world where Christians suffered as much as people who were not Christians. So so what is Abraham saying when he said, far be it from you to behave like pagan gods, gods who have no regard for whatever, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And Abraham is struggling now because he wants to, to put into some kind of human understanding how God could act out from what he says he's going to do in the event there are circumstances that should prevent him from doing that. And you will see later on that there are those who struggle with this even to the present day. But Abraham is telling us now, Abraham is going to, what, what he's going to conclude is that God is a certain kind of a God. Shall not the Lord, before whom he called, before he was standing, he's now calling him judge. And he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? My emphasis this morning is for us to get to know God as the judge. We have all kinds of songs about his love, and rightly so. We have all kinds of songs about his grace, and rightly so. We have all kinds of songs that talk about other attributes of God, and rightly so. But somehow this one makes us a little bit uncomfortable. This one doesn't seem to register on our dial. Yet this was what caused Abraham to say to God, you are a judge who only does what is right. Consider with me what I call the scope of God's rule. Abraham tells us here, shall not the judge, who is the Lord, of all the earth do right? Notice, first of all, what I call the terrifying title. The terrifying title. The word judge. Shafat. It means to sentence, to vindicate, or to punish. You will find books that will talk about anything but this idea of God passing a sentence upon the behavior of human beings. That God is judged is not a doctrine developed by man. Way back in Exodus chapter 34... God speaks of himself as one who will visit and punish the iniquity of people. And Abraham is acknowledging that when God judges, he has a right to do so, but not only a right to do so, but a certain way in which he will do it. You know, you know I, I keep thinking of when I'm on I-5 driving here. And, and someone cuts in front of me and then cuts right back in front and then turn right. 
And I keep saying, I wish there was a police somewhere. But it's not because I am concerned about justice. It is because they offended me. I am offended by what they did. Let me suggest to you that God is not going to judge because he felt that he was taken advantage of. We'll see this in a minute, why he's going to do it. He speaks of himself as judging in three different ways that have affected the human race. Let me give you the three ways in which God speaks to us as judge. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, he spoke to Adam and Eve and he said to them, this is what you must do, this is what you will do, and the moment you don't do it, here's the sentence, you will die. God said, I am going to pass a sentence upon your behavior. If you do what I am not commanding you to do, and do what you want to do, and that's exactly what they did. Adam and Eve became their own gods, and they soon had to realize that by trying to play God, they came under the sentence of the divine judge. So in, in, in the garden, we see God exercising his prerogative as judge, passing a sentence. The second movement of, the, of human history is in Genesis chapter seven, chapter 7 to 9. After the flood, God said, I am going to destroy the race because in chapter 6 and verse 5, all, listen please, every imagination of the thought of the hearts of men is only evil continually. And God said, I'm going to send a flood. A flood was God's judgment upon a rebellious world. In the garden, in the nations. Third, God separated the nations by language. The reason we have different languages in the world today is because that's a judgment. In Genesis chapter 11, when man became independent and thought he was going to make a tower that reaches heaven so that no one will be able to stand against them, God said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to confuse their language because if the language stays unified, no matter what happens, they will be able to do and it will not be withheld from them. And we have something called the United Nations today. And that organization in New York exists to try and bring the nations together so that as a nation they will have one central place where authority and rule actually fleshes out to the rest of the world. And so, the separation, by the way it must be noticed, says Dr. Francis Schaeffer, that the separation was not by race, was not by economy, it was by language. It was because by staying the way they were, they would become gods. And so in the garden, at the flood, at the dividing of the nations, God passed sentences because he's the judge. What a terrifying thing that is. But I want you to see, secondly, what I call the tremendous territory 
Abraham recognized God as the judge of all the earth. The word there is land. Wherever there is land mass, there is no part of creation that you know and I know. There is no part of creation over which God does not rule. All, every, with the exception of none. (laughs) Do you remember when Moses went to Pharaoh? And he said, the Lord said, let my people go. You remember Pharaoh's response? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? There isn't anything great in this world that I am. (laughs) Reminds me of the story of Muhammad Ali. You know, his big theme was he was the greatest. One day he was traveling in an airplane and the attendant came to Muhammad and said, Sir, please put your seatbelt on. And he said, I am Muhammad Ali. I don't need no seatbelt. I am Superman. And the stewardess looked to him and said, Superman also needed a belt. We live, my friends, we think that there are certain parts of the world that God has no right to to invade. And sometimes that world could be that out there. But sometimes it can be that. Or sometimes it can be that. Read the book of Amos. In the book of Amos, God is speaking to all the Arab nations and he names them one by one. And the last one to be named was Israel. And I could just see the nation of Israel when God condemned, passed his sentence on the Moabites. I can see Israel saying they deserve it. And when he passed his judgment upon Syria, I could see them saying they deserve it. And all of a sudden, the circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And God said, no, Israel, you, I have something to say to you. All the nations. God is not a tribal God. God is not a tribal judge. Abraham, in speaking to the king of, of, of uh, Sodom in Genesis 14.22, when the king wanted to give him some kind of repayment for what he did, Abraham said, No, I have sworn before the God who made heaven and earth. Your translation might have the word possess, means that he's the one who owns it. So that there is not a part of the earth that God does not own. Some years ago, I was still in Toronto, and uh, that was our first car. And our first car didn't have anything that the modern cars have. Didn't have electric doors, didn't have electric locks. And I remember driving, going home. I was working at Sears as a student to make some money. And I got to a a stop sign. And as I got to that stop sign, someone jumped in my car. And and, and this, (laughs) this guy looked at me 
And I thought, keep cool now. Keep cool. No, I don't think I said cool. Cool wasn't cool in those days. Uh, I, I said something else. And he said to me, I can jump out of this car if I want to, you know. And I thought, oh, brother, I'm in trouble. So I drove not to where I lived. I drove a little bit past it, or I think, or below it. And I said, this is as far as I'm going to take you. But you know what, what really got to me is that someone was jumping into my car wanting to control it. Listen, that's the way you would feel. If someone comes to your house and to your home and wants to change all the furniture to tell you that this doesn't look good here and it looks better here without your permission, would you say thank you very much? Perhaps you say thank you very much and show them the door. What am I getting at, friends? We don't want anyone to come into our place, our space, and tell us what to do. How is it then that we want to be in God's space and tell Him what He should do? Do you see what is happening? God is about to speak and to judge. And Abraham is saying, the God of all the earth, there is no place that God comes to to judge that he doesn't have a right to, to judge because it belongs to him. He's the God who made heaven and earth. That is why in the book of uh, uh, Exodus, you find again and again when God spoke to Israel, the first thing he reminded them, I am the God who brought you out of the land of slavery. They did not come there by themselves. And so because God is this judge who judges the whole earth and world, we shall see in a minute. This brings me to the standard of God's rule. What kind of a God it is who rules? Is he some kind of angry God who is up there in heaven just waiting like a cosmic policeman to come on us when we do what is wrong? Of course not. I have a couple of words in my outline which I want to explain to you the reason for using them. The standard of God comes from the rectitude of the judge. What is a rectitude? The rectitude is, has to do with someone who is straight, straight. Someone who is morally perfect. I was reading this morning in my quiet time, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There isn't anything in God that makes God vindictive. This judge is not a judge who is learning how to do his task. He is absolutely perfect from within himself. Let's explore that for a few minutes. The appeal to God was not to his love, not to his mercy, but to his righteousness. To be right is to referring to the way God does things. It has to do with the moral perfection of God. Righteousness is the foundation of this judge. 
I know we are told that God so loved the world. But it is the love of God that makes him come and allows his son to go to the cross. The love of God does not shut out the righteousness of God. We'll see in a minute what that is. Please, please, listen with me. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. The prophet Habakkuk is going through tremendous emotional upheaval because things are bad in his world. He cannot understand how God could stand by and watch what is happening. Violence, injustice, behaviors that defies the authority of God. And in chapter 1, verse 13, listen to what he says. Your eyes are too pure to approve or look upon what is wrong, what is evil. The morality of God will not allow God to sanction anything that defies his character. Listen to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. You shall be holy, for I am holy. See, not that you should be holy, but because I am holy, you are to be holy. God gave the ceremonial law laws to the nation of Israel, but he gave the moral laws of God to the world. So sometimes when people look at Leviticus 18 and 19 and says, well, look at these barbaric things. God was singling out his own nation at that point compared to the nations around with whom anything goes. But when he gave the moral law, the Ten Commandments, those were laws for civilization, not for a nation. So we must distinguish between the two. There are some things that we don't need to practice in this age because they were given to Israel only. But God's moral law is for the nations. The moral laws of God is to the world. God cannot be right and wrong at the same time. He is righteous all the time. Romans chapter 1 says this. God reveals his righteousness different from man's. But not only the prophet Habakkuk. Jesus is praying to his father in John chapter 17. And listen to how he begins verse 25. O righteous father. O Righteous Father. He gives his knowledge of God as one who is straight. One whose character is without deviation. One whose moral laws never changes because he never changes. And so, in John 12, 48... Jesus is speaking to the unbelieving Pharisees. And he said to them in verse 48, I did not come to judge the world. He came to save it. But there is a judge. There is a judge. And Jesus is looking at his father who in the last day 
will judge. One who rules at the moment by human laws. Romans chapter 13. God has established human laws to perpetuate his righteousness. And if you read Romans chapter 13, you will see what they ought to be doing. If we ignore or dismiss God's rule for the world, for the nation, his moral uprightness, if we move ourselves from under his jurisdiction, please listen, friends, and I say this with no authority apart from what is in the Bible. When Moses... When Adam and Eve removed themselves from God's jurisdiction, they only left themselves to God's judgment. The moment they decided to do what God said they were not supposed to do, in that moment they died. Not physically. That will come later on. And so the rectitude of God, who is God? When God revealed himself to the world, to the nation of Israel. He said, I'm the God who will punish the iniquity. I'm the God who will punish the wrong. I will not leave sin unpunished. Sin is an affront to me. Jesus, in in praying, he was going to the cross to satisfy the justice of God so that you and I could become a part of God's family. That's the rectitude of God, who God is. Philosophers, evolutionists have said this. God doesn't exist. Man created God because he needed a God. Let me, ladies and gentlemen, let me suggest to you, if you and I created God, we wouldn't create one like this. We would create a God that we are able to control. A God that we can live with. Sorry, it was taken in Britain some time ago. Do you believe in God? Yeah, but the kind of God I believe in. <laughs> the kind of God I believe in. Not anything that comes from without. God is light. I, I sat. I don't need to impress you with how long. I sat down With my Bible open, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if I can find in God some accommodation of what is considered darkness, then my friends, it is not the God of the scriptures unless I begin to redefine that God. Let's look then at the requisite, the requisite of God, I call it. What does it mean? Requisite is that which is required to be essentially required. Listen, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that is, that has come to me. And if not, 
I will know. That word outcry is used again in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. When Cain killed his brother and hid his body. You read verse 10 of Genesis. You know what it says? The blood from the ground is crying to me. What this is saying, friends, is that God who made the world, who made the earth, the heavens and the earth, God created a moral world. A world that cannot stand, even even when we say nature. We'll see in, in Romans chapter 1 that nature is saying this is wrong. Nature speaks to the conscience when we're going contrary to the way God has created us and God has demanded of the earth. Please listen, Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or there did, uh, before, listen, before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 102 25. Of all thou hast founded the earth and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everything in it. My friends, if God is a moral God and he has made everything, he made everything morally accountable to him. We do not live to ourselves. We're not left to do what we want if we are to enjoy life and liberty. We need to have a transcendent law that controls all the laws of men. And you're not going to find that in the world today. The inhabitants of the earth are accountable to God. That's why he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. They might not have been a Jewish nation, but they were the creation of God. They were living in God's land, in God's home, if you please. And God said, you're not going to do what you want. Please allow me to say this. For years and years and years, this country was said to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. On the 26th of June, this nation became one nation under the Supreme Court of the United States. The authority was changed. The authority was changed. The source of moral uprightness was changed into the hands of fallen men and women. When God was addressed by Jesus as the righteous father. He was appealing to the character of God and then he says, the world does not know you but I know you. And I know you to be a righteous person. The world doesn't know that. The world doesn't want that. So what does the world do then? When what does the world do when it comes up against anything that dictates against their authority. In Romans chapter 1, which is a pivotal passage of Scripture dealing with the judgment of God, 
Please listen to these words carefully. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. They were not stupid because listen to what they did. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God. Here is the redefining of God. They exchange it. Now God is made into man's image. Not man in the image of God. They exchanged what God revealed about himself. Listen to it again. That's number one. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever for this reason. God gave them up. He removes the boundaries, the capacity, my friends, for evil in the world was only controlled as man kept his eyes upon someone who is superior to him. Once that is removed, there is no telling what will happen. Let me tell you what will happen, if you please. One more. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. The women exchanged the natural relations to those that are contrary to nature. Nature. Nature says this doesn't feel right. I, I came across uh, when Lois and I moved to Toronto. It was a big city. Oh, a big city. I'd never been in a city that big before. We lived in a place where there were 3,000 people and then later on a place where there were 18,000 people and then we moved to Toronto at that time was 1.5 million people. And I remember I couldn't, you know, big cities, one of the things about big cities, especially for someone from a smaller place, you go there and they have laws you've never heard about. So I was so excited that I found a parking place spot where we were going to be living. Well, the next morning, I found a ticket. A ticket in my windshield. Oh, self-righteously, I went to the police station and I said, Sir, I found this ticket on my window this morning. And I didn't see any signs saying I couldn't park there. And he, this police had the audacity to look at me and said, Sir, there are unwritten laws that you are responsible for. However, I noticed that your license plate is from Alberta. If you're not going to stay here long, you could just go and forget it. Wow. Well, obviously, I didn't take it. I paid it, but I never parked there again. <laughs> My friends, there are certain laws 
that are not written in the Ten Commandments, but they are written on our conscience. And whenever those laws are violated by nature, nature says to the conscience, this is not right. This is wrong. And then we get to find out where it comes from. We are become, becoming, and I say this for both Canada and the United States, and, and by the way, Canada's birthday was the 1st of July and America's the 4th of July. So like Thanksgiving, we usually have two celebrations in our home. <laughs> what I'm getting at, friends, that whether, by the way, I just tell you one story quickly. Right after the Supreme Court made the law on the 26th, made certain behaviors law, the first case was taken to the Supreme Court to be discussed is the rights for polygamy. It's before the Supreme Court now. In the Netherlands, there is a conflict whether a brother could live with a sister as a lover. That's, that's what the Supreme Courts will have to deal with now, friends. See? And since we have made the law in one way, it, it's going to be difficult to say this is wrong because you've already said something is not wrong. So we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But let me quickly close. Let's look at the rewards, the rewards of God's rule. God is a righteous God, and will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Listen, two things, two thoughts. The hope, the hope of righteousness. What is the hope of righteousness? Psalm 9 and verse 8, and there are other psalms that I could have chosen. But Psalm 9 and verse 8, He, God, will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgments for the people with equity. If there is no judgment, then every evil of the world is dismissed. Then Hitler could die without having to worry about it. The rapist could die without having to worry about it. The thief could ride, the murderer could, could, could murder. You don't need to have a dozen and 1,500 policemen looking for one man. You don't need to worry about it. If there is no judgment, let's just do what we want. Because we don't have to worry about tomorrow. What is the hope of righteousness? That because God is righteous, there is coming a day when God is going to have man in the secret places of his heart answers to every evil he has committed. If you have been wrong and you have not yet been vindicated, your day is coming. That's the hope of righteousness. 
that because God is righteous, He is going to make things right. He's going to do what is right. <laughs> he will not say like that policeman said to me, if you're not going to be here for a long time, just forget the ticket. He will judge with equity. You know the Christmas carol we sing? Uh, he rules the world, world with truth and grace and let the... That's not a Christmas song. That song has to do with the fact that God will one day make things right. When Lois and I were in Israel, we went to the Museum of the Holocaust. And I tell you, I I could hardly keep my composure. And I am not one who gets carried away with things so easily. But I tell you, it was hard to realize that what we were seeing was what human beings have done to other human beings. And listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. He's going to make it right. He will judge the world in righteousness. Not by political statements, but by what is right. What is right. And so your day is coming. There is a judge. There is a judge. And he owns the universe. And he knows everything that's going on right now. Said and unsaid. But the help, the help of righteousness. What is the help of righteousness? Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Because there's no righteousness of man that can exalt a nation. Many have tried. What does it mean to exalt? It means to lift above. And how long, my friends, has this country been lifted above the rest of the nations? That's why you have Lady Liberty out there on that island. is saying to everybody else, come, come, come. This is a country that has something to offer you. This is a country that you can make something of yourself. Righteousness exalts a nation. Now, my friends, may I be, may I be free to say it? Now they come. To see not only how they can take, but what they can destroy. That's why, that's why so many people were watching to see what was taking place last night. Are, are we going to be attacked here? Attacked there? Attacked there? Righteousness exalts a nation. This country dwelt securely for centuries because whether we like it or not, the country was built upon the foundation of the laws of Moses, says the leaders of this country. And righteousness exalts a nation. But sin, sin is a reproach. Let me close with these words from another age. Let's see if I have it here. No, I must have 
put it somewhere else, but I can say it what it is. Rome, at the height of its success of law, began to deteriorate not by invasions from without, but by lack of morals from within. Greece, with its philosophy that still influences the minds today, we go there to see the ruins. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, my friends, right now, could it be that one day another generation will go to Washington and all they'll see are columns like we see in Greece today? Could it be? Let me suggest to you, my friends, in the words of Dr. Albert Moeller, the verdict of the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land and cannot be challenged. But thanks be to God, there is a higher court than the Supreme Court. And the judge is the righteous judge. He took care of your judgment and mine when he judged our sins at the cross of Jesus Christ. But if we reject Christ, my friends, we will have to stand before that judge in a day to come. Will you be ready? Will he have to judge you because you never allowed him to judge you in Christ? If any Christian boasts about the security of the future, it is only because that Christian has his faith or her faith in one who loved them enough to have taken their judgment for them. I trust that you will trust in Christ even this morning so that if you should walk out of this place and that's the end of your journey, you know that when you stand before God, it will not be as judge, but as Savior. Because you would have trusted in the judgment that he laid upon his son so that you could escape final judgment. There is a higher court, friends, and there's only one judge in that court, and that is God. And he's righteous. He's holy. He is morally perfect, and he has called on you and me to respond to his perfection. Let us pray. Oh God, a message like this is not easily preached, but a message is not determined by the carrier of the message, it's determined by the sender of the message. And I pray, Father, that if any careless words were spoken from my lips, that they will soon be forgotten. And only, only that which God would have us to remember about himself, that he is the righteous judge who will one day judge, but that we can escape that judgment if we receive his judgment now in Christ. May the Holy Spirit drive that truth home to some heart and bring that one to faith in Christ so that with us who believe, 
that one will escape the final judgment in Jesus' name.